Well, we're going to continue this series. It's called God Loves Our City because God loves our city and God invented cities. And I've been thinking a lot about this. I was thinking about like, um, uh, for those of you uh, that may weren't here when we did this, when we, we launched a few years ago and uh, man, everything was awesome. Then pandemic hits and now we've had to relaunch everything from scratch. And one of the questions that I always ask myself is like, if Pack City didn't exist, our church, uh, if our church didn't exist, how would that change or affect me in the city? And it would be like, it would be an adjustment for me, but ultimately I would still think that my life and my faith in the city matters. How I contribute to the health and well-being of the city actually matters. And I thought that even if a church didn't exist, even if there was like some sort of massive persecution and churches didn't exist, I still think it would be very important for Jesus followers to live in a city. Now, sometimes when we think about cities, we get a romantic version or view of the city. We're like, oh, I love the city. I love, uh, well, this is actually something called the consumer city. Did you know that cities are growing, urban centers are growing at a very fast rate because of the consumer goods, services, and fun things that are in a city? And they're actually something called reverse commuting. People are living in city centers and then commuting out to the suburbs for their work. So it's very popular. The city center is growing and it's vibrant again. And it's very interesting. And we get a romantic view of the city where it's like, oh, this is just a lot of fun to be here. But what if you were a part of a city that wasn't good? What if you were a part of a city and it felt oppressive? What if it, you are a part of a marginalized group and you feel like there's oppression in the city against you? What do you do in that situation? How do you feel about the city? What if you live in a city where things are overly difficult for you? You feel like the world is against you. Now, I don't feel like the world is against me all the time, but sometimes when you're in lust, I mean, maybe that has something to do with my childhood, but we don't have time to go into that. But like, I think that like, sometimes it feels like you just get in the car and everyone is against you on getting in your way to where you need to go. Or things become difficult in the city. So everything from oppression down to difficulty in the city, what do you do and how do you respond when you live in a city that's difficult you feel maybe the city is against you or oppresses you. What do you do in that situation? Now, we as Jesus followers, we look to the scriptures to determine what we should do. Now, one of the things that we can find in the Old Testament is a story about a prophet who shows us some tools that we can follow uh, when it comes to understanding what we do in a city that oppresses us. Let me tell you a story. In the time of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a prophet, which means he would speak truth to power. He would say very difficult things. Sometimes he would predict the future. He had insight that came from God to help him understand the future and also what to do in the present. In the time of Jeremiah, there was prophets and there was kings. And these kings that were the kings of Israel were not very nice kings. They were bad guys. And they did not listen to the Lord. They did not listen to God who had brought them out of Egypt. They had turned their back away from God. And some of the things that the kings were thinking about doing were opposing the superpower of the era, which was Babylon. And one of these kings said, we're not going to listen to the Babylonian king anymore. We're just going to do our own thing because there was all these other prophets that said, hey, 
You don't have to listen to that king. And so as soon as the king threw off the shackles of the, former king, of, of, the, of the Babylonian king, the Babylonian king sent his army in and killed that king and his whole family. And that was the end of that. <laughs> and, that and, and, and during that time, uh, Jeremiah had said, don't oppose the Babylonian king. Just kind of like work under him and you'll have a good co-working relationship. Something to that extent. I, I'm paraphrasing, of course. Uh, the word co-work wasn't in the Bible yet. And so, uh, after that happened, they kill all the relatives, they capture the king, and one thing that they do is they take all the leaders and all the important people from Israel, and they put them in handcuffs, and they ship them over to Babylon. And what they did that for was sort of a re-education. Maybe you've heard that term before. It was a re-education or a new education of the Jewish people. And what they wanted them to do is learn Babylonian ways, how they were more, how they were superior than the Jewish ways. And so they thought if they just moved a bunch of the leaders over there, they would become indoctrinated, enculturated, if that's such a word, with the new way of doing things. That the Jewish people would become Babylonian people. They would assimilate them into their culture because they felt they had a better culture. And so all these Jewish people are brought into the Babylonian culture. And they're living there. And there's more prophets that show up. And these prophets say, don't associate with the Babylonians. Stay away from them. They're wicked. They own you. They're trying to hurt you. They're trying to make you from becoming your best version of yourself. You need to stay away from them. Stay separate. Don't involve yourself with them. Stay away from them. And in this strange way, Jeremiah comes in and he says something, he says, all these prophets are false. Here's what you do. And here's what we read. Here's the advice when you are oppressed in a city that, Je that Jeremiah gives the Jewish people. We read in verse 4, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Right? Does that all add up to the story I told so far? Good. Verse 5, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back into this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God speaks to Jeremiah, and it is completely different than all the other voices in the culture. All the other voices in the culture say, the city is your enemy, resist the city. But the voice of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, the city is not your enemy. And when I read this, I see that there's a lot of intersectionality 
between the prophet Jeremiah and the words of Jesus. And Jesus, when you see his ministry on earth, you see that he doesn't view the city as the enemy. He sees that there is a spiritual enemy of our world, but the city, the city is made up of people, and people are made in God's image. God cares and loves the city. And we see in the new heaven and in the new earth that God establishes, that God establishes his kingdom in cities. And when I look at the life and the ministry of Paul the Apostle, this is somebody who wrote most of the second half of the Bible. Paul the Apostle, uh, he went from city to city. He went from city to city sharing the good news of Jesus and being a faithful presence to those who were in those cities. And so the challenge I bring to you today is this. Could it be that Christians... People who follow Jesus should take the same perspective that Jeremiah took by caring for and loving the city. Just as they cared for a city that oppressed them, so too must we care for a city that sometimes can hurt and oppress us. I would argue and I want to show you that that's what we're called to do. I'd like to show you three things for our time and our place and the three things are this. I see three things. That Jeremiah talks about. He says we're supposed to settle down in the city. We're supposed to seek the prosperity and the peace of the city. And we're supposed to trust God's timing for the city. Now, settle down in the city. In Jeremiah 29, look at verse 5 and 6. It says this. It says, uh, build houses and settle down and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your uh, sons and daughters in marriage, so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Now, like I said, the old ways of thinking about the city is that the city is bad, the countryside is good. That's an agrarian understanding, but we don't see that here. Uh, and I guess the question is, what does it look like for Jesus' followers to move into a city and settle down, to plant roots there? Some people think that the suburbs are safe and the cities are difficult places to live. Now, they can be difficult and challenging for some places, but there's a lot of research that shows, especially among Christians, among Christian youth, that just because you live in a suburb or an agrarian center or agrarian place outside doesn't actually mean that your children grow up. Um, they may grow up in something that you may deem to be safer, but they don't actually end up carrying the faith of their parents. There's been some research around this that like, just because you're in the suburbs or in the countryside doesn't actually mean that you will continue in your faith uh, in, a, in a healthy way. Uh, Tim Keller, uh, he's a writer and pastor in New York City. He has this great talk called Eight Reasons to Raise Your Kids in the City. And he's trying to make a case for the city, obviously. So, but he gave, he gave three opposing and eight four. So it was like kind of like, all right, whatever. But like when you listen to it, he has this interesting point that the city is challenging for parents. The city is challenging for parents uh, because life comes at you fast. And when you're a follower of Jesus, and when you raise your children in a city, your children have the opportunity to look at you and say, that person's faith, my parents' faith is being tested. It's harder here. And they've learned to work through the difficulties and the challenges of city life, and they're rooted in their faith. Your faith becomes more valuable, and your faith becomes more respectable to children when it's challenged in more challenging environments. Am I making sense here? Now, by contrast, I have no problem with suburbs. 
every Christian and every Christian pastor needs to think about a metropolitan uh, strategy for how do we launch churches and plant new churches, not only in city centers, but in suburbs and everywhere around the world. Uh, but by contrast, when your faith goes unchallenged and everything's safe or appears to be safe, your faith is unchallenged. And what happens is children kick against what they think you don't understand as a parent. And so this is just one of the eight reasons he lays out. And so, we, so when, when it, as it connects here, uh, Jeremiah is saying, like, don't be afraid of the city. Settle down. Get married. Uh, do arranged marriages, if you must. Uh, the older our child gets, the more we think we know what's best for her. So we're very much in favor of arranged marriage these days. I, th I think we know better than her, but that won't happen. But anyway, we, uh, uh, so help your sons and daughters meet the perfect person that will uh, meet all their, you know, their, you know whatever. Uh, don't make them happy. And then make babies. I mean, here you got a prophet from God being like, hey, you know what you got to do. Make some babies. Get some babies going. Don't hesitate. Don't pull back. Don't pull back from having children. In a place where you're oppressed, you may think that you need to pull back. You may think you not need to marry or produce because you're just waiting, abiding your time. Says, don't do that. Press in. Make those babies, get married, and have fun. Now, not everyone can have babies, and I understand that. So if you can't have babies, if you meet the right person and you get married, my advice to you is have babies in cities. Now, let me give you a little statistics about birth rates. Um, birth rates across the world are growing? No. They're in massive decline. They're in a massive decline. And in the U.S., Get this, birth rates among city dwellers, folks in the urban centers, large metropolis, like New York, Los Angeles, Boston, Miami, San Francisco, you know, you know I could list them all. Um, uh, they are massively in decline. Birth rates are massively in decline in city centers. Massively. Now get this, this is interesting. Uh, the birth rates among Christians, uh, not only in cities, but in suburbs, is sometimes three to one. In some ways, Christians are outbreeding secular people who are in city centers three to one. I just thought that was a fun fact So uh, for you to know. Um, and so what we get here is it's challenging to raise kids in a city. It's hard to find a mate in the city, with all the options and all the apps, it can be very difficult. But there's something here. Jeremiah is saying, plant yourself. Get rooted. If you can afford to buy real estate, buy real estate. Like, um, there, there is something to rootedness in just even how you conduct yourself in your own home. Or how you think about your car. Or how you think about your work. Some people come into the city looking to take from the city for a couple of years and then move on. I mean, what is Los Angeles other than people coming to fulfill their dreams? But here in this, uh, there's like a, a, a settledness. Um, there's a couple we know that used to live here and they moved away. And you would go into their, their house and it always felt like they were never settled. Like it was like their furniture, their pictures. They just never really got settled. And when you pressed them on it, they're like, we're only here for a little bit. And then we're moving on. And I want to encourage us to move away from that. 
make it your home for however. You know, God can move you anywhere. God can do whatever he wants with you. Uh, he can take you to a suburb or the countryside. That's not a sin. He might take you away from here or he might die. I'm not here to tell you that. Anyway. <laughs> but you, you, <laughs> and he says, some of you may die. <laughs> uh, what's that? <laughs> yeah, no. here, and uh, we're going to pray. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> you know, so all that may happen, but while you're here, press in. Make the city your home. Point number two, uh, seek the prosperity and the peace of the city. And look at in verse 7, it says, Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city for to which you have been carried into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. What does this mean? Well, the term peace in the ancient language means shalom. It means peace. And what his call for here is to seek the economic, the social, and the cultural renewal of the city. Prosperity and peace, interestingly enough here, is not defined on the terms of the Jewish exiles. It's defined on the terms of the Babylonians. So when you live in a city, it's kind of like a love language. Have you ever learned about the love languages and like, oh, mine's words of affirmation or whatever it is. And like you, <laughs> I don't know what they are. That's why... I, Anyway, but, uh, <laughs> I do know what they are. I'm pretending like I don't. Um, but you, have you ever tried to apply your love language to someone else and it's not their love language? And you're like, but I'm showing you love. And they go, yeah, you're showing me love in the way you want to receive love. I don't understand that kind of love. That's what's happening here in these verses. That he says, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Like the way we define prosperity the way we define peace is by the people we are trying to seek peace and blessing toward, not our own idea of blessing. And this can be really hard because a lot of us have a lot of really good ideas for the city of Los Angeles, but sometimes we have to bend our lives and our vision for peace and prosperity to help people where they're at. And I think there's limits to that. We don't want to sin. We don't want to hurt people. But it does help inform, like, are we doing this in a way that helps us, what we think the city should be? Are we raging against the machine? Or are we moving towards people in the city and seeking what's best for them, the good for them, the good that they deserve? Well, they don't deserve it, but the good that we know that we should give for them. Um, and so what we do is we pursue peace and prosperity in every sphere of life. And this is one of the great fallacies, I think, that has happened in late, uh, late 1900s, early 2000s evangelicalism. It's this idea that we're just trying to get saved before this whole place burns. And we don't really see a lot of evidence of that in the scriptures. What we see in the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, in the life of Paul, it affirms what happened in the, in the Old Testament with Jeremiah, that we are creating a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be things that were broken here on earth that will be renewed. And so what it means is this stuff isn't all going just to burn up. What we do is we participate in the renewal of these things. They were broken and they become new. They're like made new again, which means there's certain areas of life 
that actually matter. Like business. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the business community in Los Angeles. Let me put it this way. Your work matters. Like you're not a pastor like me reaching thousands, if not dozens of people this morning. You know, you're not doing that. And you might think, well, my work isn't spiritual. No, that's not necessarily true because God works through your work and your work matters, whether you're in production, whether you're in the sciences, whether you're a musician, whether you work in a hospital. Your work matters. So you seek the peace and the prosperity of your sphere of business life. And you look to develop relationships and care for the people in your business and the people that you work with. It means we seek the peace and the prosperity of our educational system. There's a lot of debate about how to fix education. Now we can enter into that debate and we should have opinions in that debate. But our mindset when we enter into that discussion is we're looking to create and seek the good that's there. We're here to seek the peace, the prosperity, and the flourishing of our educational system. This is why this week I officially joined the PTA. I am, thank you, thank you. I told one person that I joined the Franklin Elementary School PTA. Her name's Casey, and she immediately goes, you should run for president. And I said back to her, ask not what your Franklin can do for you, but what you can do for your Franklin. Um, and you know what I'm going to do? I don't know. I pay my $10. I uh, have my digital card uh, that I am a card-carrying PTA member. It's on my phone all, along with my, um, what do they call it, a vaccination? Yeah, I have a vaccination card and I have a PTA card on my phone now. And, I, and the reason I'm doing that is because God cares about education. Now I'm going to show up and it's going to be me and the other moms and the ponytails. There might be a dad or two. Mostly, it's going to be a lot of moms there. And we're all going to work on how do we solve some of the issues for Franklin. We seek the peace and prosperity of our schools and education. Uh, it means that we seek the peace, prosperity, and the flourishing of the arts. Your art matters. What you create matters. It's not futile. God gave you those, like some of those inspirations to pursue that, and you should. Your art in the city matters. And as a Jesus follower, making great art matters. Stop making bad art that just appeals to Christian subculture. Create art that's good for everybody. That's what I see. If Jeremiah was here, that's what he'd probably say to artists. Make great art. Make great art. We uh, pursue the flourishing of our legal and justice system. Now, there's a lot of debate here. There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of injustice in our city. There's a lot of people that have been mistreated. And the reaction is generally um, offense. I'm offended. I need to protest. I need to be angry. And some of that, that's where it stops. And a lot of it stops at just posting that you're angry online. On Instagram, Facebook, all the other things, Twitter. And I would encourage us, like, you can have an opinion about injustice. But 
from these verses and what we understand in the life and ministry of Jesus, we move beyond just being angry. We move into those places and we seek to find common ground and we seek to establish uh, the flourishing of the city. This goes for the nonprofit work. This also goes for the sciences, the STEM people. Uh, any STEM people in the room? All right, cool. Uh, Nicole is, uh, works for a large pharmaceutical company, uh, Big Pharma, and uh, in that job, she, she, I don't want to say the name, uh, and, she, and she does, uh, she, she's in management, and she's gotten promoted a few times. I mean, why do you think it looks so good? Because uh, anyway, she, she's been promoted like a bunch of times in seven years. And to think about that for a minute, this is a woman in STEM, in big pharma, moving up the management chain in a very large U.S. city who also loves Jesus. Her work matters. Your work matters. It's not just my work that matters. Your work and how you treat people and work with people matters. So how does it matter? Well, first of all, you do a good job. Whatever sphere of influence you have in seeking the prosperity of the city, whether you're in nonprofit, whether you're a therapist, or whether you're in production, or you're in the hard sciences like Nikki, you do a good job. One of the best things you can do is do a good job. Nobody wants a Christian to show up to work who shares the four spiritual laws about how to get saved, but they're really bad at their job. Nobody wants that. No one's ever wanted that. And their call, your call today, is to do your job with integrity. I mean, do you understand the flakiness of Los Angeles? Like, do you understand how hard it is? I mean, just in, from my position in, in relaunching a church and the flakiness of us. Do you understand in your jobs, in your careers, the people you have influence over in your neighborhood, how flaky things are? One of the easiest ways that you as a Jesus follower can stand apart from the rest of the crowd and seek the peace and the prosperity of the city is to do your work with integrity and great passion. What is passion? Passion is when you get up in the morning, whether you have that internal start button, I'm going to go for it. You don't need someone metaphorically whipping you into shape. I will get up, I will get up, I will do my job, I don't want to do it today. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. You do what you know you're supposed to do. You can motivate yourself to do that. I can't teach you, nobody can teach you passion or integrity. These are the two things nobody can teach you. Everything else we can teach you. Everything else can be taught. But you, can't, you have to be motivated to get up and do a good job. And then integrity. What is integrity? Integrity is doing what I say I'm going to do, when I say I'm going to do it, and doing it in the manner it's supposed to be done. Doing what I say I'm going to do, and when I said I'm going to do it, in the manner it's supposed to be done. And if you can just do that as a Jesus follower, you will be seeking the flourishing of the city. Um, I mean, also, this is probably why we are, uh, like I mentioned, the PTA. I'm joining the PTA. Thank you so much. Uh, but this is also... You know, just in your extracurriculars, I know some of you are a part of gyms, you are a part of different clubs. Uh, this is why after this, um, we're headed over to a soccer game in Irvine. We're going to watch our little daughter play, a so nine-year-old play soccer. And are they bad? Yeah. Uh, 
ma'am, this is not a time for Q&A. No, just kidding. <laughs> they might win. They might be winning right now. And it's a soccer tournament, and all the kids are terrible, and it looks like a beehive, and they're all like going around, and they all have braces and things in their braces, and they're just terrible. And I'm like, I don't want to do this with my weekend. I want to lay on the couch. Look at Instagram. But when you're there, you're like, it, the hard part for me is like, I don't want to do this. They're not, it's not like she has a future, you know, and you go like run through all the scenarios of why you deserve your time back. And then you're there and like, you know, it's mostly they, each family sends one delegate <laughs> to watch the game and 